Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good uh, to be with you here this morning. If you are uh, newer with us, welcome. Um, if you've been away for a little while and, and you are uh, catching us on our second to last week of our James series that we've been going through this summer. And so what we always offer and, and uh, want to let you know is that um, you are able to follow along with the main points. If you get your, came in, you got your bulletin. If you flip over, you'll be able to see all the main points from the previous weeks. Um, and this week, uh, we're in a week that uh, has the potential to be um, hopefully really powerful in our lives. Not that other weeks don't, um, but just for us to be able to see and re be reminded of the fact that no matter what we're going through, that you are not alone. Sometimes just that in and of itself is a comfort that we need to hear. Uh, my name is JP. If we've not met yet, I would love to meet you later on. And, and in the meantime, as we get ready to go into James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 18, I'll ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into the scripture together. Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, Lord. We thank you that... Um, that each person that is here this morning is not here by accident, Lord, that you created them and you formed them and you love them and, and they are here today, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would speak um, clearly to them, that you would encourage them, that you would come alongside them no matter what's going on in their lives. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would again would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us in this room and each person that might be online listening later. God, recognizing that everyone who hears my voice now has been prayed for and cared for and loved before they walked in or before they pushed play, but even more so that they are deeply loved by you as evidenced by the fact that you sent Jesus to live a perfect life and then die a horrible death, but raised to new life so that we may have eternal life with you. We love you, God. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as we are in a series, uh, James, as we're in a, a passage or a sermon called You Are Not Alone, uh, I want to start off by uh, a unique time in our lives when uh, Steph and I, we found out that uh, we were pregnant with our first daughter, with Shaylin. And it's one of those moments when, for whatever reason, um, when you find out you're pregnant and you start to share that with everyone, it's, it's really sweet because everybody wants to be really encouraging. But sometimes people start giving uh, kind of like a lot of different pieces of advice and not necessarily advice that you asked for, right? So it's things like, you know, oh, well, make sure you put like this oil on your belly or make sure that you, you know, you rub here and like, oh, can I touch your belly? I'm like, you would never ask that to another human being. But apparently once you're pregnant, that's okay. So, and then it becomes like this idea of, okay, well, make sure that, you know, you have them on a certain schedule when you sleep. Actually, you know, just let them sleep. You know, don't wake up a baby if it's sleeping. But then again, you want to make sure it's on a regimented schedule. And then you want to figure out, okay, here's that, make sure you have your solids by a certain time, but not too early because, you know, they need to nurse, the importance of nursing. And then you you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many different advices. I'm just like, I just wanted to hear a congratulations praying for you, right? Like it's kind of like this overwhelming idea of like just people wanting to, to give advice. Again, it's well-meaning. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but it is one of those where, you know, if we're asking, hey, what did you do? Or, or what would you give advice for? Then speaking into it as opposed to just kind of everyone saying, well, this is how we did it. And this is how, you know, we think you should do it. And then you're like, well, we're going to see, you know, so just this idea of a unique season in life when you're expecting or maybe in the beginning of a wedding or kind of the beginning of things, we get this kind of this advice. And, and again, well-meaning, but sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. And other times in which this kind of happens is, is times in which we're facing hardships. 
When we get the phone call from the doctor that you never want to hear, when, when you start to have a family member struggling with something or a brokenness in your life, and, and someone may, well-meaning, want to come up and say, hey, listen, this is how you need to deal with this. And, and it's, again, it's something where we want to help. When we hear this news, we want to help. We don't always know the best way to help. And so the best thing that we can do, or, or rather the most natural thing for us to do is to kind of, well, here's, here's my experience without always recognizing that, you know, you might experience something differently than I did, differently than you will, differently than this person will. And so recognizing that it's good advice for us who want to give advice in the midst of difficult moments is, is to be able to listen right, to hear, to make yourself available, not necessarily to always give advice right away, because again, we can kind of laugh about it when it's with a child, and it's something that the hope is that it's something expectant and joyous, but if we're bombarded with advice or bombarded with these things when we're hurting, it's not like a salve that helps fix the wound, it's like a needle that keeps poking a little bit harder. Not always, but it can feel that way. And so the reason we bring this up is that I was reading the passage for this week, and I was uh, reading James 5, 7 through 18. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to talk about like hardships and suffering. And you know what? Looking at the passage, I could easily, as a pastor, you think this way, right? I can easily make three Ps when it comes to how to get through suffering. You do it through prayer, you do it through patience, and you do it through perseverance. Done and done. And then I realized that that's not that much different than just someone who's just giving advice without actually listening, without actually asking, without actually seeing what it is that you are in need of. And so some good advice for those of us who want to give advice and who care, but always don't know how to respond in difficult times, is kind of what we read back in James 1, this idea of being you know, slow to speak and quick to listen, being able to hear, okay, no, what is going on? And you know what? If you need anything, I'm available for you. I may not, I'm not going to always pounce on you in order to help, but I am here. And if we've had that kind of relationship, you could speak into it, then it becomes something where it's received really well. It's not like an unsolicited advice. It's, it's please help me in this. Help me to know that I'm not alone. And so, recognizing that three P's of how to get through hardship isn't very helpful, I want to just get across this point today that you are not alone. If you are struggling, if you are hurting, if you are in a moment of brokenness, if you have a mask on this morning that makes everyone think that you're okay, but inside you are slowly feeling distant from God or distant from family or broken in different ways, you are not alone. You are not the only one to do this. And may we, as a church, have the courage to acknowledge that and to ask for prayer in the midst of it. So with that said, our main point for this morning as we look at these 11 verses together is that hardships are hard enough on their own that we shouldn't have to face them all alone. That when we are going through a hardship and if we don't share it and we isolate or we keep ourselves separated from people, we don't let people in, it's almost like we're experiencing double the hardship. The hardship of what we're going through and the hardship of isolation and loneliness. And may we as a church be a place where we could break down those walls and invite people into our brokenness so that we remember that we are not alone. Again, I mean, James chapter 5, if you have the church Bible in the seat rack in front of you, it's going to be page 1884. If you brought your own Bible or if you're using your Bible app, that's great too. But what I want to do is as you're turning there, I want to make this comment that in this passage, 
James gives us examples, both of patience and prayer, to help us know we aren't alone. So again, as a pastor, I had to put those P words in there somewhere, but they gave us examples both of patience and prayer to help us know we aren't alone. In fact, I want to share a a verse that I found um, really encouraging and challenging for us is this idea from Romans 15, 4. It says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope that we read passages in scripture and we can look at examples of different people who experience things, maybe similar to what we've experienced, maybe different, but, but there's some connection there and recognize that we could still have encouragement in the midst of trials. We can still have hope in the midst of brokenness because we recognize that in the midst of the darkest moment in all of history, Good Friday, then came the blessing of Easter Sunday, which is the brightest moment of all of history. That out of deep darkness can come shining light. And so we have this moment where we read the scripture and we can find encouragement. So my hope is that, yeah, maybe you take notes today. Maybe you're not in a place where you need to take notes and you just need to have God write some notes inside your heart of recognizing you are not alone. And may the scripture point us with encouragement and hope to other examples who've gone through similar things. So let's look here at examples of patience in your notes, if you do want to take notes. The first one that we see based on James chapter 5, 7 through 9 is farmers. We look at the example of the farmers and they teach us that if you're waiting for God to show up, please don't give up. Here's what it says. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. That farmers, as as many of us know, is that farmers work extremely hard, right? They prepare the ground, they plant the seeds, they work it, they make sure that everything as ready is as possible to yield a precious crop. But what they cannot do is cause rain to fall. So they could do all the work, but yet there is still a patient waiting that has to take place. That We may do the work, but until the rain falls and the actual water comes in order to provide the nutrients for those crops to grow within the soil that has already been prepared, that a farmer has to wait. And so he may prepare the land, but if the rains don't come early, which is in this case, it's the autumn season. And if the rains don't come late, which is in the spring season, then there's, this, there's a, a concern in which, well, okay, I'm waiting for a crop to come. And so for us, what we do is we, we till the soil of our hearts. We, we get ready for something, but we recognize that we might be prepared for what God might do. And then it doesn't come. And we get frustrated. And we wait. And we wait. That often God has a few diff- three different answers for our prayers. Not the only three, but if we ask God for something, sometimes his answer is Yes. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is not yet or wait. And so when it comes to that, why is it that a loving God wouldn't just give us what we need when we need it? Why is it that we are going through this? In fact, we recognize here in in, uh, verse 9, a connection to something that we talked about a few months ago during our I Am series about the bread of life. How how often it is it talks about do not grumble in verse 9. Yeah, 
don't grumble because against one another. This idea that we grumble when we aren't grateful. So if we've done all the work, God hasn't answered. How easy is that to instead of create soil for good crop, it creates soil in our hearts for grumbling and frustration. So again, why must we wait? And I want to share a poem with you. It's not on the screens because I don't want you to get caught up with looking at it. I just want you to hear it, um, and I can make it available uh, a little bit later. So it's a little long, but I want you to hear this idea of why might God want us to wait when we're calling out to him. It says this, Desperately, helplessly, longingly I cried. Quietly, patiently, lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate. The master gently said, Child, you must wait. Wait, you say wait, my indignant reply. Lord, I need answers. I need to know why. Is your hand shortened or have you not heard? By faith I have asked and am claiming your word. My future and all to which I can relate hangs in the balance and you tell me to wait? I'm needing a yes, a go-ahead sign, or even a no to which I can resign. And Lord, you promise that if we believe, we need but to ask and we shall receive. Lord, I've been asking and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking. I need a reply. Then quietly, softly, I learned of my fate. Once again, my master replied, you must wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and tawed, and grumbled to God. So I'm waiting for what? He seems then to kneel and his eyes wept with mine. And he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause mountains to run. All you seek, I could give and pleased you would be. You would have what you want, but you wouldn't know me. You know the depth of my love for each saint. You not know, or sorry, you not know the depth of my love to each saint. You not know the power that I give to the faint. You not learn to see through the clouds of despair. You not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence were all you could see. You never experience that fullness of love as the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You know that I give and I say for a start, but you not know the depth of the beat of my heart. The glow of my comfort late into the night, the faith that I give when you walk without sight, the depth that's beyond getting just what you asked of an infinite God who makes what you have last. You never know should your pain quickly flee what it means that my grace is sufficient for thee. Yes, your dreams for your loved ones overnight would come true, but oh, the loss if I lost what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child, and in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to get to know me. And though oft may my answers seem terribly late, my wisest of answers is still to wait. So if you're waiting for him, you're crying out, and that sounds familiar. If you're waiting for God to show up, the farmers teach us, please don't give up. Be patient. Stand firm. Doesn't mean the answers are going to be right away the way we want it. And it doesn't mean that if you're waiting that we're questioning your faith or saying anything negative about that. It's just the encouragement that God is with you. You are not alone in the midst of this. The next thing we look at, verse 10, is the idea of the prophets. Another example for us that James gives. The prophets tell us that if you're suffering, please remember you're in good company. And that sounds a little backwards. Let's dive into it for a moment. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That sometimes in our suffering, it's because of our own wrongdoing. It's because we've made mistakes. It's because we're not following the ways of the Lord, because we're not living the way we should. And so sometimes we look at our suffering, and they're the byproduct, the ramifications of our own wrongdoing. But there are times that all of us have experienced at one time or another. There are times in which our suffering 
doesn't have anything to do with what we're actually doing. It's something that's going on on the outside. It's something that's happening and we don't know why. And the reason we look to the prophets is because the prophets, as it said in verse 10, they were ones who were speaking in the name of the Lord. They were doing what God had called them and yet that didn't promise an easy life. It didn't promise that things would go well all the time. And I know you know this, but I just want to encourage you with what we see in Hebrews 11:35 b through 40. It's a longer section. It's going to be on the screens, but it points us to those who have faith in Hebrews 11, many of which referred to are many people throughout the Old Testament, but including the, the prophets. And here's what it said, that some of them had great things happen, but then starting in verse 35b, it says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This idea that the prophets were doing the right things and yet they still suffered. And we're in good company because if we are following the way of the Lord, even when bad things happen and when we're suffering, we know that again, we are not alone. We look to God's faithful people who've experienced that, the prophets and others like that. And we're in good company because if you look at the prophets as good company, then you can even go a step further and recognize that if we're looking at suffering, then we know even if it's something we haven't done, then we know that we're in good company because that's the story of Jesus. That he knew no sin and yet he became sin. That he bore the weight of our sin as the atoning sacrifice. The idea that he says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, Paul says this to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That we look at all these stories of the prophets, they suffered, they spoke the name of the Lord, they weren't doing anything wrong, and yet the world tore them down, the world hated them, and Jesus tells us that the world will hate us when we pursue him wholeheartedly. But then he says, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. That we may not know the answer to our suffering. We may not experience that this side of heaven. But as we see in Hebrews 11, that he has something even better in store for us. And you're in good company. You are not alone. And as we see in Hebrews 12, the next verse talks about how because we have such a cloud of witnesses, others who are examples to us, let us run the race with perseverance and cast aside the sin so that so easily entangles. So quick examples we saw when it came to patience or the farmers. We look at the prophets, and then we look at Job. Job shows us this, verses 11 and 12. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. And you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Job teaches us this, that if you're trying to persevere, please know that blessing is on the other side of the trial. That again, that blessing may be here on earth and maybe a restoration of things here on earth as Job experienced. That blessing on the other side of the trial may be the eternal fellowship with God through Jesus Christ in heaven. I don't know. I cannot say on stage 
that all of you are going to have everything that's ever gone wrong be made right here, right now. I can't say that. But I can't say that we have a hope that we are anchored into which we can hold on to. That out of brokenness can come healing. That out of darkness can come light. Out of death can come life. And out of trial can come blessing. That we can't go all into Job's story, but as many of us may know that he was really righteous and, and the enemy wanted to make an example out of Job, saying that, God, he's only following you because you've given him good things. So then he strips, God allows Satan to strip him of all these things that he has, of his family, of all this different stuff. And then God, or we hear that Job didn't sin by what he had said. But then still he, he had a moment in which later on through he hears all these different friends, again, giving unsolicited advice or advice that wasn't really helpful to where they were. He, what, they weren't listening. So to tie in that example earlier, but then all of a sudden Job, he cries out in 37 and then in 38 through 41, again, we're not going to read it right now, but God for four chapters straight shows Job how little he truly understands says, where were you when the goat was born? Where are you when the sun comes across the sky? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Surely you know all these things. And you're like, God, you're getting a little spicy. Um, but he goes out, verses 38 and 41, because he's being righteously angry to say, you don't understand everything I'm doing. And yet the same God who holds all of the universe in the palm of his hand knows the depths of our hearts. And so in 42, Job just said, he repents. He says, I knew not what I was talking about. I had heard about you, Lord, but now I've seen you. And then eventually we see that Job gets restored all the same things and says that God blessed him more in the latter part of his life than in the former. So does getting all those things and getting having new sons and new daughters, does that take away the pain from the past trial? No, does he still miss his kids? Of course. But it means that it's not the end of the story that God is still doing something and that he was blessed later on and lived another 140 years, but he persevered through the trial and then was able to see the blessing on the other side. That if we can push through that so many people when trials come will fall to the wayside, will give up, will throw up their hands, not in praise or surrender, but throw up their hands in apathy and giving up. And so Job shows us that if we can push through, again, I don't know all the things that you're struggling with. I don't know the things in your depth, but if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't tell me just to be patient like farmers. You wouldn't tell me just to experience suffering like the prophets. You wouldn't tell me to try to persevere like Job. And you're right, I don't know. But I'm just reading the word here, and this is what he talks about, is that God gives us examples to look at other people and say, if God can answer the prayers of the farmers, he can answer your prayers. If God can answer the prayer of the prophets or meet them in their suffering, he can do the same for you. And if God is in a moment of, if, if, sorry, if Job is persevering through trials that are so great that we cannot even fathom them, that one after the other after the other happens in Job 1 and 2, if he can meet Job and provide blessing out of the trial, that he surely can do that for us as well. So we look at these examples of patience in the midst of it. And now I want to close with the last few minutes we have together through the examples of prayer. The examples of prayer. And the first one there uh, in your notes talks about the church itself. That the church is an example of how to pray. Because the church is a place where people can both be made well and healed through the power of prayer. They can both be made well and healed through the power of prayer. Let me read verses 13 through 16. 
Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is faithful and effective. That the church should be this place where people can come as they are. That we should be a place where you can come as you are. And know that people aren't going to look down upon you because of your journey. To know that people aren't going to just try to give you unsolicited advice. Hey, I found out this horrible news from the doctor. I'm sorry, but God has a plan. Like, that's true. God may have a plan, but right now I'm struggling. And, and, and that's, harm, that's hard and difficult. And so f- to have a place where people can come with whatever's going on and knowing that you are loved and prayed for and cared for and not alone in the midst of it all. And so I want to hit on verse 14. So 13, if you're among trouble, ask for prayer. If you're happy, sing songs of praise. 14, the idea of if there's anyone sick, calling the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. Now, I want to ask, we've, we've had a lot of heavy topics together, okay? So I'm going to pause on the heavy, and we're going to transition really briefly. How many of you here have ever in your lives eaten a Big Mac? Anyone? Wonderful. I've only had it probably less than five times in my life, but yet, you know what I can still remember about a Big Mac, though I've only had it less than five times in my life? To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Like, I know that because of advertising, because they sing it. To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. I'm like, I don't like half those things, but I know what they are, even though I haven't had it. Here's why I bring it up. Anointing with oil is not a special sauce. I don't know what the special sauce is in McDonald's. They have, the, they have the list on there. You can make it yourself. I type in special sauce on uh, Google for Big Macs, and it's like they have the way to do it. Uh, I actually saw an article, which this is off topic, but we're friends. And so it was one of those where it's talked about how um, someone was trying to raise money for charity, and so someone bought uh, a bottle of the special sauce for like $100,000 which at the time made it $130 per gram, which was more expensive than gold. And so it's like, special sauce ain't that good. You know what I mean? But I bring it up because we've all had Big Macs and, and whatever that may be, and there's two all beef patties, special sauce. Anointing with oil is not some special sauce that is going to make the prayers even more powerful, right? Like it's not something that, the power is not in the anointing of the oil. The power is not in the oil itself. The power is in God. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God answers prayers and he heals when we ask. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes there's Daniel who's rescued in the, in the lion's den. Sometimes there's Stephen who is still stoned when they cast him, they, just, they, they kill him from being stoning because we don't always know why or how God answers certain prayers the way he does. And so it's not like this idea that having an elder come in or, or calling the elders together recognize that it's the person is asking the elders, so they're, they're kind of, it's not the elders are just coming around and just putting oil all over everybody, right? It's if, if someone asks for that, for a healing, and I will say, it talks about if any one of you is sick, and that might be a physical illness, that could also be if you're struggling with mental health, that could be if you're having a different kind of brokenness, of, of a sickness that we could pray over, 
and recognizing that it's not a special sauce, it is an opportunity to follow this example that oil in the past in the Old Testament was used to pour over and anoint the high priest. We see that David was anointed with oil when he was called to be king. And we also see that it was used to set aside the aspect, or sorry, the um, different instruments of the tabernacle as set apart as holy. Does the Bible say in the New Testament that we have to be anointed with oil? No. But it's saying if one of you is sick and you would like to bring in the elders, they can pray over you, not because it's special sauce, but because it's a way of the church coming alongside and being able to know what's going on and to pray for you, that you ask. And as elders, we can pray and anoint your name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, pray for you and recognize that the power is not in the oil. The power is in God and he will work as he sees fit even when we don't always understand it. So verse 15, I want to hit on this part here where we talked about that the church should be a place where people can both be made well and healed through the power in prayer. Verse 15 says this, and the power offered in faith will make the sick person well, so a physical healing there. The Lord will raise them up, and if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. First thing, when I um, first became a Christian, my dad, uh, we grew up Catholic, and so he was asking about, you know, reconciliation or confession, and, and I was talking about how, like, you know, we can go directly to God. We don't have to, you know, ask for a priest to pray for us, and he said, well, what about in, in James when it talks about confessing your sins to one another, and, and that is more the idea of being able to, yes, we confess our sins, but that is not the only way for us to receive forgiveness because we recognize that when Jesus died, the veil was torn between the most holy place, signifying that we can have a relationship with God, that there is no longer this break, this, there's no longer this division because God sent Jesus to bridge that gap for us, make peace where there was no peace, make a way where there was no way so that we now can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus as our high priest has already made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus as our sacrifice laid down his own life and now we can have true eternal life with God. So I just want to be clear. It's not that you have to confess only to us and that's the only way. You confess your sins to God but you can also come and share those burdens and confess to, to those around you as well. And this idea of there's a physical healing but there's also a spiritual you will be healed by being able to have your sins forgiven. There's a physical and a spiritual. That I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, is the parable, not the parable, yeah, the, not the parable, I'm sorry, the healing of the 10 lepers. That Jesus talks about how he healed 10 lepers. Nine of them left to be able to do what they said. If, you know, go there, you'll be healed. Nine of them were cleansed. One came back. And thank Jesus. Only one came back out of the tent. And Jesus even says, where are the other nine? Weren't they clean too? But go because your faith has made you well. That there can be a physical cleansing, a physical healing, of being physically made well. But then there's a spiritual made well, a spiritual healing that comes when we confess our sins. And not only are our bodies made right, but our souls are made right with the Lord. And so... We look at this here, that this word powerful, verse 16, is just the word from dunamis, which comes from the word that we use for dynamite, so it shows the power of it. And then let me close with the last two verses from uh, 17 and 18. 
Because the last example Jesus, or James gives us is Elijah. It says, Elijah says this in verse 17. Well, he was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So Elijah teaches us this, that we must remember that people in the Bible, first off, they're real people. They're not characters in a story, right? Like they were living, breathing people with faults and, and hangups just like us. But they were real people, real ordinary people called to live extraordinary lives. And out of their obedience, out of their faith, they were able to step into those extraordinary lives. And here's the thing. They were ordinary people called to live extraordinary lives, and so are we. So don't be afraid to pray big. That I, it's hard to believe that Elijah's like, Lord, stop the rain for three and a half years. I mean, we just talked about how farmers can't bring their own rain. And yet Elijah, as a man just like us, as a human being just like us with hurts and habits and hangups and struggles, that he was able to pray a big prayer and God worked in a big way. And we don't need to put people in the Bible people in the, in the pulpit or other Christians around us on a pedestal because that does two things that are harmful. One, when we put someone else on a pedestal, it means that we expect too much of them, right? Because they too, we too fall short of the glory of God. And when we put other people on a pedestal, it means that we are expecting too much of them and then we put them up here. But here's the other thing that may be just as dangerous, if not more so. We don't just put expect too much out of them. When we put other people on a pedestal, it means that we aren't expecting enough of ourselves. Well, they're the spiritual ones. They're the ones who are good. I, I'm just going to do my best, but you know, I, I'm never going to be like you know, someone in the Bible who could pray big. I'm never going to be like someone who preaches, who knows the Bible so well. I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to be known for my love of God. I mean, how dangerous is it that we wouldn't expect enough of ourselves and the Holy Spirit working in our lives? How easy is it to fall into that trap and live lives of mediocrity when God has called us to live not ordinary lives, but extraordinary lives for his glory? So I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you all to join me. We're going to close now the last couple minutes. I'm going to ask you all to join me in an experiment, okay? So if you are newer with us, if this is your first time, uh, don't be worried. We're not going to do anything crazy. It, it might be stretching. It won't be crazy. I just hope you all remember to do your freestyle raps. Um, no, so it's one of those where this is not something that we've done often. Um, definitely not since I've been here. Uh, not something that is, is necessarily normal, but it's something that if we're looking at this passage, what I'm going to do in a moment is I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes in a moment. Then I'm going to ask all of us a series of questions, just, just coming from the scripture here, of what James is asking us to do and what James is calling us to do. And if James is saying, hey, you're in this place, here's what we need to do. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then when one of these questions is a question that resonates with you, or if you say, that's me, with your eyes closed, with everyone's eyes closed, except for mine, because I need to read my notes, with everyone's eyes closed, when a question resonates with you and you say, that's me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and hold it there. No one else is going to see, so no one else is going to know which thing that it is that you raise your hand for or whatever it may be, but I'm going to ask you to hold it there. 
until we conclude the experiment together. Okay, so if you will close your eyes. Here we go. Reading questions that come from the scripture here in James chapter 5. If any of these are you, raise your hand and hold it. Number one, if any of you, are any of you waiting on God to show up? Raise your hand and hold it there. Are any of you in the midst of suffering right now? Are any of you needing the strength to persevere? Are any of you finding yourselves prone to grumbling? Are any of you right now in trouble? Are any of you happy? Are any of you sick? Physically, emotionally? Are any of you struggling with a specific sin? Remember, eyes are closed. Are any of you praying a big prayer right now and yet you feel discouraged because the answer hasn't come? And then the last question, keep your hands raised and hold them. Are any of you in need of prayer right now? Keep your hands raised. Remember, your eyes were closed and no one knew what you raised your hand to, but with your hands raised, I want you all to open your eyes and look around. You are not alone. Put your hands down. May this be a time where the church, our church, can continue to be a house of prayer. May this be a time in which we recognize that if we're not alone, we know other people to our left and to our right raise their hands. We don't know what for, but God does. And we can be bold and we can be brave and we can pray big and we could recognize that we are not alone in this journey as much as we want to make it look like we have it all together. That the beauty of the community of the church is that we don't have it. It's not that we have it all together. It's that we recognize we don't have it all together, but we can point one another to the one who does. The one who can heal, the one who can save us physically and emotionally and spiritually. You are not alone. And I'm going to pray right now and then I'm going to ask the, um, those who know what they're supposed to be doing uh, during my prayer to get into your spaces. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are here in this place, and I thank you for the bravery to be able to have people raise their hands, even um, like just acknowledging where we are right now. God, I thank you for your word that points us with encouragement and hope to other examples of people who have been through similar things, not the exact same circumstance we might be going through right now, perhaps, but similar enough that we can have hope and take hold of the fact that we are not alone because you have worked in those lives of the examples we've seen in the scripture. We are not alone because there are people in this room who are in need of prayer right now as well. And we are not alone, Lord, because you sent your son Jesus so that we may never be left alone, that the Holy Spirit, you are residing within us. You're living amongst us. May we, Lord, have the courage to step forward and respond how you want us to. Give us boldness, Lord, to recognize that hardships are tough enough on their own that we shouldn't have to face them all alone. And remember, you're, we are not alone, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So what we've done is we had two short, we had two songs up top, and now we have two songs here together. And what we're gonna do is do an invitation for you.
an invitation to be able to, to step out of your comfort zone. And we're going to have two songs in which to respond. That if you're in trouble, as James 5.13 talks about, you can ask for prayer. We have our elders who are in the corners of the room. And you can have the opportunity to, to come and ask them to pray for you because of a circumstance that's going on in your life. Maybe if you don't want to go to an elder right now, maybe we've set up the cross up here and maybe you just want to go and you just want to kneel at the foot of the cross because you know you're in trouble and what better place to go than the cross and the people of God who believe in the power of the cross. So maybe that's you. If you're happy right now, we're going to sing some songs of praise together. We're going to do what the scripture asks us to do in that regard. If you are sick, whether that's a physical sickness, whether that's a mental uh, health situation you're going through, or there's, there's a lot of just burden and struggle of a healing that needs to take place either physically or emotionally or spiritually and you want, need to confess some things, whatever it may be. But if you are in need of a physical or emotional prayer of healing, then our elders have oil here, just like we talk about. Again, the power is not in the oil. The power isn't even just in the fact that we have elders praying. The power is in coming together that a righteous person the powers or the prayer is powerful and effective. There's no secret sauce, but there's a Holy Spirit who works. And if we don't ask for healing, then how will it come? And so you could go in, the, the prayer with the oil is optional. You don't have to have that. It's available if you want to. But as we do this, I'm gonna ask that all of us right now stand up if you're able. And if you're unable to stand and you need prayer, I will ask that you just kind of raise your hand or wave your hand. And elders, if you could just keep an eye out if there's anyone that um, is unable to stand so you could go and pray with them. But with that said, come to the cross, go to the elders. I'll be up here to pray as well. We have two songs to respond. And let's take off the masks. Let's pull down the veil. Let's respond to what God is doing. And may we see what he may do when his people remember we're not alone because we have each other and remember we're not alone because we have the power of God with us. So respond through prayer, coming forward, going to the elders in the corners or singing songs of praise. Let's worship God and respond together. this morning if you still want prayer maybe you didn't want to come forward or go to the corners uh, during these two songs the elders if you can elders if you could stay here uh, for a couple moments and, and or if you just want to come to the cross what better way for us to close with the words Lord I need you and acknowledging that truth that you are not alone one because you have a people a church that love and will pray for you but two because you have a God who sent his son so that we may have eternal life with him. You are not alone in your struggles and your heartaches. So as we, I'm gonna ask everyone to, 
to kind of to go out quietly, if you would. Um, and if you want to stay back, if you want to go to the corners to pray or come here, you are more than welcome to do that. But, but I'll ask that if we're going to um, just connect and, and socialize, if we would do that outside so that this space would stay a space in which people are coming uh, and connecting with the Lord. We cannot wait to see you next week as we close out our James series. Um, thank you for being here. You are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And I hope you know how deeply the Father loves you. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.